Hey, everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the Let's Read the Bible Together reading plan. We also have the plan available on our website, grove.church. And as usual, I would love for you to take some time to send us the questions you have, whether it's stuff that you're reading that is confusing or you would like some clarity on, or maybe you just like to hear us banter back and forth about our thoughts. Uh, I would love for you to send in those questions. You can do that two ways. One is an email. Uh, the, in, the address is info.grove.church. Make sure you put in the subject line a Let's Read the Bible podcast question. Uh, or the second way is a direct message on our Facebook page. We are the Grove Church uh, in Washington State. And so you can send us the direct message there as well. Uh, and we'll, we'll answer them as much as we can week over week. All right. Well, this week we are going to kick it off with a psalm. We haven't done psalms in a few weeks now. No, it's so. been a while. It's so, been a minute, as the, the kids like to say. A hot days. minute, as it were. So we're going we're gonna to get back into them. And Aaron has, what, yeah. what psalm are you highlighting this week? It's actually only one psalm that I saw we're reading, I think. I think you're right, actually. Uh, I, I psalm 92, I think, is or Psalm 95 is what, because I know we've already highlighted Psalm 2. So in the notes, it said Psalm 2, but we're only highlighting one psalm because that's the only one we're reading this week. And that is Psalm 95. Uh, and this is, um, it's interesting because the the psalm itself is, is really... Uh, good um, and it's it's worshipful, it's celebratory. Um, but the context behind the psalm is almost a a challenge to those singing the psalm uh, or even reading it for us today is, um, is to learn this lesson of rebellion from previous generations um, when they commit themselves uh, and to commit themselves to fully heeding God's voice. Um, and so the, the psalm is going to reflect uh, a, a situation, actually two situations in Meribah and Massa in the wilderness as. Uh, God is leading his people uh, to the promised land. There's these encounters where they get really grumpy uh, and and thirsty and uh, complain against God. Now, if you've ever had kids, uh, you know when there's a moment where the everything falls apart because they're either hungry or they're tired. Uh, and so this was a perfect storm for God's people, but they they complained against God. Uh, and so they, they have these stories, these, these accounts that the psalmist is reflecting, reflecting on. Um, and it, it's funny because I'm going to read the psalm here in a minute, but it starts off with like joyful celebration, but yet is reflecting on God's, um, of God's voice in the midst of their rebellion. And those who are reading it and, and singing it need to remember that so they can, in essence, guard themselves against following suit in rebellion. So that's kind of the context of the psalm. Uh, but this is what the psalm says, verses 1 through 11. This is the entire psalm. Uh, says, come, let us shout joyfully to the Lord, shout triumphantly to the rock of our salvation. Let us enter his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout triumphantly to him in song. Pray for the Lord is a great God, a great King above all gods. See, this is like a great Psalm. Like it's mm-hmm. just kind of like, yeah, like let's do this. The depths of the earth are in his hand and the mountain peaks are his. The sea is his. He made it. He had, his hands formed the dry land. Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture, the sheep under his care. Today, if you hear his voice, and this is where it flips for a second, it sets the stage, worship God for who he is. He's incredible. He's the maker. His hands form the dry land. And it says this, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah, as on that day of Manasseh or of Massa in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me. It's like God all of a sudden speaking to yeah. his people, where your fathers tested me. They tried me, though they had seen what I did. And again, it reflects to you. I know you mentioned this last week, um, what God did with the Exodus and the parting of the Red Sea and the miracles he performed. Uh, they, the, he's, God is in essence rebuking his people, saying, don't be like them. They ignored me. 
Uh, they saw what I did. And he says this, for 40 years, I was disgusted with that generation. I said, they are a people whose hearts go astray. They do not know my ways. So I swore in my anger, they will not enter my rest. Which is what we just read about in Numbers. Is that generation is the one that the psalm is talking about. And that's it. That's the end of the psalm. Ugh. And so it starts with this like worship God. Look at what he has done. He's an incredible, great God, a great king above all of the other gods, lowercase g there. Um, and then it's like for a moment, it turns where God's speaking directly to his people. It says, hey, they frustrated me. I don't like them. And I actually swore that they wouldn't enter into the promised land. They wouldn't enter into my rest. And that's how it ends. And so it's this stark contrast in this psalm, which is really, which is really profound, uh, but also ends with like, just don't be like them. Okay. Love me. Trust me for who I am. The miracles I do. Just don't be like them. It's kind of, yeah, it's interesting that, so the people of Israel here are being asked to worship God for who he is, but also reflect on the mistakes of their past. And I'm saying there in the sense of the the nation's past. Yeah. Um, I think it's a healthy thing for us to do is worship God for who he is, be joyful for what Christ has done for us, for the salvation we have in him. Um, but it's also being aware of like, how have we fallen short in the past and how can we make sure that we're striving to not Yep. Do those make those same mistakes again? So, how do we not do what we did at Meribah or Massa? So, that's a cool. That's an interesting psalm. Yeah. Like you said, it's really it's a very interesting dichotomy between the two halves of it. Well, it's funny because it's almost as it's it just shifts. It's like it's like man, this is awesome, and it's like oh, by the way, don't make me mad. Don't do what they did. Stop. Be, don't be stupid like they were. Like, and that's obviously Aaron's paraphrase. Like super dark. It like mm-hmm. shifts from like this light, joyful thing to like this heaviness. Um, and I think it's, I think it's good to remember, like, it's so easy for us to flip a switch. It's so easy for us to start grumbling and complaining about, well, God, why this? God, why that? And we forget and neglect who God is right. and what he's done in the past. Um, and so it's, it's great. I mean, this Psalm is great for inspiration to remember God's provision and faithfulness to his people throughout history, um, and remember his faithfulness to care for humanity in light of the gospel. And so I think that there's value um, to understand and remember, man, like <laughs> let's learn from, from that. And I can, I can reflect in my own life. I'm like, yeah, God, I was rebellious. I'm yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We so, all, we all can. <laughs> but yeah. It's, it's just a, re- that's the only Psalm we're reading this week. So there you go. All right. Well, we're going to jump into the book of Hebrews, but before we do, just a reminder to, Hey, you know, if you leave us a five-star review on whatever you're we listening on. Yeah. We won't complain without, that would be pretty cool of you. Uh, Full full disclosure, as you're listening to this, I will be I'll be gone. My wife and I will be on vacation, and that'll be the case for the next few podcasts. So if you leave a review And you phoned in. Yeah. If you if you leave a review in that period of time, we shan't be reading it on the air until I return. But when that happens, don't worry, we'll read it. It'll be awesome. All right. So Hebrews. This is I, I love that we're doing the whole book in one week because we can kind of just take the whole thing as a as a um as a whole, I don't yeah, know, that's a redundant which, way which of is saying fun, it. which is fun, and it's not so fun because Hebrews is a deep and rich book as well. True, uh, but it's fun because we can capture almost like a thirty thousand foot view of Hebrews mm-hmm. and really kind of understand it from that perspective before we deep dive into it. Right. So when it when it comes to nailing it down, Hebrews is it's a really interesting book. Um, so as far as the author goes, it's anonymous. And this is the only book of the Bible that is anonymous. Sorry, not book of the Bible. This is the only uh, book in the New Testament that is anonymous. There's plenty of books in the Old Testament that are that way. Um, and so the most common Christian tradition has been that it was written by Paul. Um, I think the Eastern Orthodox Church pretty much held that from the beginning, and the Western Church was pretty, pretty early on as well. Um, and so... N.T. Wright and uh, Michael F. Bird, they point out in their 
the New Testament in his world. Uh, so Clement of Alexandria held that Paul wrote it in Hebrew and it was translated by Luke. So one of the issues with Hebrews and Pauline authorship is that the Greek in it is very different from Paul's letters. Mm-hmm. So the possible reason for this is because it's a letter written to the Hebrews, Paul may have written this in a different language that he wrote in Greek. And then Luke takes that letter and translates it into Greek, which is why obviously that would feel different from the ones that are actually pending Greek in Paul's hands. Again, this is all conjecture, yeah. but it's, it's, it's possible. Um, and then this is actually, for me, it was funny when I was studying up for this, because I've always kind of held like, who knows who wrote Hebrews? Um, it could be anyone. This actually kind of convinced me, like, that's what I, th- that's what I actually think happened. I think there's two things that happened. I think Paul wrote it in Hebrew. It was translated into Greek. And I think the reason that it's anonymous is because of the conflict that he's had with the people in Israel. Because remember, there's there's a part of it that says the pe- those who are from Italy greet you, which can either mean it's a book written to Hebrew Christians in Italy and the people that Paul is traveling or whoever the author is, is traveling with are greeting him, who are from Italy are greeting them. Or it can mean it's being written from Italy and that the people I'm with who are also from Italy are sending their greetings to you Mm -hmm. as well. If that's the case, that means that this would be written while Paul was in prison. So it could, and which was, which is not long after he goes to Jerusalem and all that stuff happens. So part of me think, and again, this is very open-handed. It's just kind of now my conjecture. I think that Paul wrote this in prison. He wrote it in Hebrew. And he didn't put his name on it either because God had called him to be the the um, the apostle to the Gentiles and not to the Hebrews, or because he didn't want people to not listen to it specifically because his name was on it. So there you go. It's interesting. And that was uh, Patnaeus is one of the church fathers who said that um, the reason that he could have done this is because he was called the apostle to the Gentiles and not the Jews. So there you go. But that's, again open-handed also yeah. maybe it was apollos maybe it was barnabas maybe it was it was almost certainly a companion of paul or mm-hmm. um because timothy is mentioned i think i think it's timothy so assuming it's the same person it has to be someone in that group of people who yeah. wrote it and i've also heard that it, it very well could have also been a woman that wrote it which is why it's anonymous as well yeah that could be um it could have been lydia or you know someone from her family because of the, the interactions but um it definitely provides you know, some interesting intrigue. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, most of the time, I don't care who wrote it. <laughs> um, but Hebrews has always been one of those books of like, I'm curious to know who's actually the one who wrote it. And and the translation, because it, it it feels like Pauline a little bit, mm-hmm. um, but the, the the verbiage, the wording, the way it reads is not necessarily Pauline. Right. Um, and that's and that's an interesting thing too. But it, so the translation can impact that as well. But because then you've got a combination of Luke's uh, interpretation or, or translation and mm-hmm. impacting some of the flow, but uh, definitely, definitely one for fun to think about yep. if, if you're in our circles, I guess. Yeah. I mean, maybe you don't care about this at all. This yeah. Time. If you're listening, it's kind of like, you're just wasting my time, get, move on. So, but it definitely is interesting. Well, a couple more things before we actually get into the text. So Town and Gu- Towns and Gutierrez point out in their book, which is the, um, the essence of the New Testament a survey, uh, the structure of Hebrews is very different from a normal epistle. So it's not starting off with this kind of introduction and greetings. It doesn't read like a letter. It kind of reads more like a sermon or a series of sermons. And so it's possible that... That that's actually that's actually what mm-hmm. it is, um, and also it's very different from the epistles because it's intentionally anonymous, whereas yeah. the other epistles are they introduce themselves right up at front. Uh, and so, for as far as the outline goes, it's really hard to nail down a consistent outline. Most books of the Bible, 
there's a gen- generally agreed upon outline of them. Hebrews, yep. you're going to find a bunch of different ones because of how different the structure is. So we're going to use the Townsend Gutierrez one just for because I like it the most. Um, as for the date, like I said up, up top, I tend to favor that this was written during Paul's imprisonment in Rome. Um, all, the an- all the references to the animal sacrifice, they, it seems to point to me that the temple had not yet been destroyed then, if that's kind of a big deal. So I would put it before 8070 for sure. Um, and then maybe when, like I said, when he says those from Italy greet you, it could point to Paul being in prison at this point, which, so the mid to early sixties is when you could peg this. So who knows? And if you're anything like me, when Evan likes to talk about the dates of letters, I just tune out for a second. Um, it's a good time. What are you talking <laughs> about? Uh, no, but it's true. I do tune out a little bit, but there is some importance to it. And, and I understand that to a degree, but I'm always the guy that's like, just tell me, just tell me about the text. Fine. Well, chapters one through six. But listen, but listen, some of you I know like that, and that's that's why I love this show, and that's why I love being able to record with him because we have a lot of fun back and forth. So, well, the first section is chapters one through six, and we're going to call it the theological declaration, the superiority of Christ. And when I say we're going to call it, I mean the Townsend Gutierrez. That's what they titled it. Um, so there are a few parts of Hebrews that sound extremely odd to our modern ears, and here's the thing. This is to be expected because it's written to Jewish Christians who yes. were tempted to turn back to the old covenant, um, which I think is actually, it's a really, this is a really good book to read coming out of Leviticus and Numbers, right? Because yep. that's kind of the law of the old covenant. And then Hebrews is kind of giving us the picture of how do we as Christians think of yes. the old covenant? Yes. Um, but of all the Christian people groups that we read about in the New Testament, these are probably the most different from us. Because like when you think of the Greeks, it's a little bit more similar. You can think of the Galatians who even have that more like Northern European history and ancestry and stuff like that. Um, the Jewish Christians who followed the old covenant to the letter and are now being asked to switch, that's a completely foreign idea to most of us living in the modern West. So keep that in mind. There's going to be things that you're like, why is the author of Hebrews making this argument? Mm-hmm. Well, it's because um, the people who are reading this first are in a very different place than what you are in currently. But that doesn't mean there's not really good things to take out of it either. Yeah. All right. So chapters one and two are an argument that Jesus is superior to the angels. Again, probably not something that we're like, like uh, most of us aren't struggling with like, man, is Jesus really better than Michael and Gabriel? But this is a thought <laughs> going through in, in the first century. Uh, he argues that before Yahweh had spoken through the prophets and angels, but now he has spoken through his son, which is Jesus. Um, So the rest of chapter one offers some contrast between Jesus and the angels. In chapter two, the author warns us to pay close attention to the words of Jesus. So this is in chapter two, starting in verse one. Therefore, we we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by the angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. So, and even there, you're talking, you're starting to talk about the Holy Spirit as well, but this idea of the new covenant that we have, the new that has been introduced is not just from prophets and angels, it's from God himself. Um, In chapter three, the author declares that Jesus is the greater Moses, uh, which again, may not seem like a big deal to us today, but back then, it's a big, that's a big yeah, deal. Like absolutely. Moses is the herald of the old covenant. He's the great hero of the people of Israel. He led them out of Egypt. Uh, God led them out of Egypt, but Moses is the human leader of all that. 
And so the authors of Hebrews is saying, hey, look at, listen, you're wanting to go, uh, look in, I don't know why I said that. Um, you're wanting to go back to the law of Moses. And Moses was great, but Jesus is greater. The new covenant that we have in Jesus is better than the old covenant that mm-hmm. we had through Moses. So kind of the whole thing there. I mean, that's a, that's a statement that's a slap in the face to some degree. Yeah, a little bit. And, and it's not, it's not, again, it's not, it's to provide that Christ is better. What, what Moses was able to do through God's work is, is significant and, 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 and incredible, but Christ is better. And that's the tension, but it is, it's almost, I mean, it's saying Drew Locke is going to be a better quarterback than Russell Wilson for those Seahawks fans. That hurts. And it's, and it's one of those things like not to build, I'm not trying to be like tongue in cheek with it, but there is like, it's. For, for the weight and the value of a Russell Wilson to the Seahawks faithful fans, right? Um, mm-hmm. Not the bandwagon fans who are all burning his jerseys, but the faithful fans. Um, to, say, it, it, to say that Drew Locke is going to be better is, is like, what? No way. That's ridiculous. Um, and Drew Locke, no offense if you're listening. But, um, but it is. It is, this, this, it is such a stark statement right. that I think is, is, is important to understand. And it's not to be made lightly. And so that, that's the a very small b- bad analogy to understand some of that tension but that's kind of what's going on a bit. Well, it reminds me like I'm a, I'm a huge nerd so I've been watching I know. Uh, I've been watching different people doing like presidential tier lists just because oh like my gosh. it's kind of it's it's interesting. Bro. Um but no so it's like seriously it would remind me of like one day putting a president in that like George Washington Abraham Lincoln like tier. Like saying like it's so whoever it is like the, like if, if you say like Joe Biden is in that top tier of presidents, like everyone would be like, like no matter how much you Hold love, yeah, no matter how much you love or hate the the current president, Richard you'd be Nixon. like, yeah, like whoever the president is, you just be like, well, I mean, yeah, they're great or whatever, but they're not, you know, they're that's, not Washington. That's Lincoln. George Washington. Yeah. That's Abraham Lincoln. I think that's kind of what's going on here a little bit, where you spend your whole life learning and idolizing Moses, and then you're being told, but this new thing is even better. It's like. Wait a minute. Hold on. Yeah. So, all right. Well, after this- I just love that we had two different analogies there. Hey, you know. One for me for more like the simple sports fan and the nerd. Because you call yourself a nerd. I'm not calling oh, you a nerd. No, I, but the one like- And I I've always said it. this. You're like a walking encyclopedia with information. But anyways. Um, so after this, through chapter six, we get one of the main themes of Hebrews, which is that Jesus is our high priest. And a, a huge part of Hebrews is essentially, because again, these are- Hebrew Christians or Jewish Christians who are tempted to go back to the old covenant mm-hmm. and the author's trying to show them, no, 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 Jesus is the greater blank. The yep. new covenant is greater than the old covenant. And so we see, we don't, we don't need the high priest at the temple anymore. Um, Jesus is our high priest. Yep. So it says in verse 14, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Don't skip by that. Don't skip by those verses. Cause that's pretty, that's pretty incredible that we have a high priest in Jesus that God himself is able to identify and sympathize with our weakness because he was also tempted, but he also is without sin. It's pretty cool. Uh, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we re- may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are and yet without sin." 
Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So it's kind of this, and this is really the idea of almost all of the latter books of the New Testament. You get, so you get the gospels and you get acts, which are essentially, here's what happened. And then the letters are really talking about how do we live in light of what happened. So because we have this high priest, we can with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace in our help of time need. Because God sympathizes with us, we don't have to be afraid to come to him when we struggle, when we sin. So. Yeah. And I think the profound, the profound piece of that too is not just that Jesus can empathize with us because he was tempted and he was without sin, but Jesus didn't didn't he didn't do that because he was God. He did that in human form. Yeah. He did that in within the midst of his humanity. And he did it because he relied on his heavenly father. He relied on his relation. He re- like, th- there's a reason why Jesus got away. There's a reason why Jesus spent hours in prayer. There's a reason why Jesus, I mean, in the garden of Gethsemane, the greatest temptation of all was to quit, to walk away, to not uh, go. And maybe not the greatest temptation of all, but the the greatest fight that we can see play out in temptation for Christ. He, he wanted to give up and walk. I would argue that that was probably his greatest temptation. And I, and I would, yeah. I would actually argue the same thing, but it, it's, yeah, it's, it's one of the things that I've never d- developed like full, like, this is where I land on this. Mm-hmm. Um, but as, as, but he did all of that in his humanity. He didn't do it in divinity. And I think one of the things that we've got to remember what Christ did, how Christ walked and lived was in humanity. It wasn't in, in divinity. And so that, that, that's the beauty of the scripture, like where we can go confidently to the throne of grace and get the help and mercy that we need because Jesus has done it and accomplished it. Mm-hmm. And in our weakness, our response should be, in our moments of temptation, our response should be to run to that throne of grace. Um, but I do think it's important. It's not just, man, yeah, Jesus was Jesus and he did this thing. No, Jesus accomplished what he accomplished in humanity, mm-hmm. in the humanity of of his willingness to reject divinity for a time. So um, it's pretty profound to think about it. That's why, that's why this idea that Jesus is greater is so significant in Hebrews. Now, here's the thing, listeners. I know exactly what you're thinking right now. As you're listening to this podcast, you're like, listen, this is great. Jesus is the better whatever. But Aaron, Evan, (laughs) Jesus can't be a high priest because he's not descended from the tribe of Levi. I know that's what's going through your mind. Everybody's thinking that right now. Okay, obviously. So I'm glad you thought about that question because I was actually going to bring it up because that's what everybody's thinking right now. So again, uh, this isn't something that's going through our modern minds, but (laughs) chapters seven through eight, it is literally an argument for why Jesus is qualified to be the high priest. Um, even though he's not descended from the tribe of Levi. And, that, and that's the kicker. He came from the tribe of Judah. Yep. Which is which is a messianic prophecy. The tribes of the kings. Yes. So. Well, except for Saul, but you know. He came from Benjamin, but he was head and shoulders above the rest Ooh, at his time. Tall king. There we go. Um, so anyways, yeah. F- so for us today, we don't. this doesn't matter to us. We're like, yeah, Jesus is our high priest. That's great. First, first century Jews, they would have been like, well, wait, he's not a Levite. How can he be the high priest? So the author of Hebrews goes through, he makes the arguments for why this can be. Um, the basic idea is that he is from the order of Melchizedek. And so Melchizedek, you'll remember, is Abraham meets him. He's in there for just a little bit. It's kind of weird. Um, and then true. if like if if it wasn't for some of these New Testament arguments, he would be a very minor character that most of us would not be aware of. I mean, I guess still most of us probably aren't aware of Mel- Melchizedek. But um, the argument is that he was able to act as 
high priest. And that was sanctioned by God. He was able to do that within the will of God. And so therefore, Jesus is able to also act as high priest sanctioned under the will of God in the same way. So there you go. Kind of interesting. Uh, in chapters 9 and 10, we see how because of Christ's sacrifice, the old sacrificial system is now obsolete. Um, and so here's kind of a couple passages that talk about that. So the first one is, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not the, not this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by the means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkles of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish, to God, purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from our transgressions committed under the first covenant. So as, as we read through Leviticus and Numbers and, and Exodus, it's all it's in there too. One of the major themes you'll notice in all the sacrifices is do not give God your second best. Mm -hmm. Like you, you, you are get, like when you're taking a cow, you're not finding the sick one. You're not finding the old one. You're not finding the one that doesn't produce milk anymore. You are taking, you're finding your best cow. And that is the one that you give to the Lord. Jesus is the best. Yep. He is the only human ever without blemish. And so that is why he is qualified to be this sacrifice on behalf of mankind. So kind of, a, it's yeah, a really cool picture there. And then it says, because of this, he is the mediator of a new covenant. So again, it goes back to this priest. A mediator is, you know, someone who stands in between. It's mm -hmm. like when you have an argument with someone, you bring in a mediator and there's someone who is going to go between the two parties. Um, the priest was a mediator between Yahweh and the people of Israel. The priest is the one who would offer the sacrifices and he would uh, pray for forgiveness on behalf of the Israelites. Now what we're saying is that even greater than having a person be the mediator between God and man, we now have God himself acting as the mediator yep. between the Father and us. So yep. really cool idea there. Uh, second passage says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. I mean, that's that's I mean, that's yeah. a great verse right there, no matter what. Uh, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of son, some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So again, it's just this idea that in, in light of who Jesus is, in light of the sacrifice that have been made, because Jesus is our high priest, then let's love each other. Let's encourage one another. Let's not neglect to meet together and encourage and love. You know, let's not neglect to gather mm -hmm. is essentially like, you know, the, the ecclesia, the church of, of God. So really cool idea there. Um, finally, we're going to get to the practical application section of Hebrews. So this is chapter 11 through the end. Um, I mean, the end has a little benediction stuff, but you know, mostly chapter 11 through the end. Hebrews 11 is probably one of the more famous passages in all the Bible. Uh, as you may have heard it called the Hall of Faith, which is, you know, it's like the Hall of Fame, but 
with faith. So it's cool. Uh, but the, <laughs> anyway, uh, the author takes us from Adam all the way through Israel's history, and he describes the faith that those people had, leading to some really important points. Mm-hmm. So here's just one section I took. Uh, what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell if Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel and all the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of all the earth. And all these... Through commend, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has promised had promised something better for us, that is apart from us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. So I I, I just love this story because it's yeah. you said and because because you can imagine as he's saying these things, all these stories the Israelites are thinking like oh my gosh these are my this is my favorite story like Jephthah just fi- this I think that's why I had him in my mind last week because I was studying for this one, uh, but just fighting against you know and and freeing the people and freeing Gilead or Gideon who with three hundred men was able to like rout the army of the Amalekites, um, Barak who you know he he got on board eventually, uh, Samson <laughs> who's so strong he was able to take out all those like you're just reading about these heroes and you're being encouraged and they like really these titans of the faith to these Jewish Christians. And then at the end, what does he say? He says, they did not receive what was promised. In fact, what we get today is better Mm -hmm. than what they got back then. The new covenant that we are living in, and the author of Hebrews is talking to people 2,000 years ago, but it's the same covenant that we're living in today. He's saying, this covenant is better than the old covenant that those people had. So yeah, I I love that passage. It's It's really cool. Well, and there's so much to it. I think there's so much depth and there's so much, uh, it's almost left, it it leaves the reader wanting more. Um, Tell me more about uh, the women who received back their dead by resurrection. Tell me more about those who are, uh, you know, killed by the sword or stone or sawn in two. Like, not that they want to know the grotesque side of things, Mm -hmm. but these are are individuals who, and this is part of the reason why I I find myself unwilling or, or unable to get to the point of denying the 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 truth of Christ is those who have endured torture and hardship and death mm-hmm. the martyrs of the faith if 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 this was not legit if this was not a real thing how how could so many people stand firm till the very end of their life even today we we have stories of individuals who uh, you know tragically were beheaded because of their faith or whatever the case is like they they were killed because of their faith but they didn't they didn't give up. They didn't relent. They didn't recant their faith. And I think that there's so much to these these verses that I think is really thought provoking and powerful and affirming to faith yeah. in Christ. And I think that's really powerful. Well, chapter twelve contains an encouragement to persevere in faith. So we in chapter eleven we get the faith mm-hmm. shown by all these people in the past. Chapter twelve is saying, "Hey, that same faith. This is what we need to exercise today as well." And then chapter 13 contains the uh, the author's final benedictions and encouragements, but also this passage on the new sacrifices, which I think is interesting. 
Uh, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Which that's that, I mean, that's a fun verse to think yeah. about as well. That's just like a random aside, but saying, hey, like, wait when, a minute. Yeah, like the way that you treat strangers, sometimes you never know. There's a supernatural element to, that, to it there as well. Uh, remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who were mistreated since you are also of the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? I love that encouragement at the very end. Yeah. And it's it's because it's re- I think, I've said this, we've talked about this all the time, but like we just don't have a good picture of persecution in the American mm-hmm. church. And, when, and honestly, thank God for that and to a certain extent, because it's we were able to really just outwardly declare our faith at all times. Yeah. Um, but what the author of Hebrews is writing to is people who are being actively persecuted, and especially these Christians, they're being persecuted by the the Jews in their own homeland who who don't accept Christ as Messiah and they're being persecuted by the Romans so it's kind of coming at them from both sides whereas in a lot of the places in the New Testament they're just being really persecuted by the Roman Empire um, and so they're they're walking through all of this and he's saying you know we can confidently say because and this is in light of everything that he's argued because we're in the new covenant because it's better than the old covenant because Jesus is the better Moses because Jesus is the better high priest high priest we can say the lord is my helper i will not fear what can man do to me it's it's so powerful talk about a way to end it yeah right? talk about a way to, about a way to end a, a letter like that or a sermon even mm-hmm. i might even use it when i preach and no, i'm just kidding boom um, but there is i mean it is it's it's we may not understand or have some of the the relevant things that exist to the Hebrew audience. Um, but these lines are very thought provoking and challenging to, to us today. Um, and so I think that there's value and tension in resting through all of that. Um, so I love it. I love that. And, um, and I think it's something that we should all be practicing and reflecting on. So um, I'm going to shift us to uh, the book of Proverbs. We are wrapping up the book of Proverbs Snap. this week. Um, and so we're, we're going to be hitting uh, the we're, last We're going few. into another wisdom book. Is that what you're saying, Aaron? The better we're, wisdom we're book. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Evan is so thrilled about a book that's coming that I will not say anything about because you just have to wait because you're going to hear Evan squeal with delight when we actually start diving into it. Um, I'll just say this. He spent the better part of the last probably three years of his life and still is kind of working through this book that we're going to get into. Not now. Not as intensely, but yeah. But next time. Um, but I'm going to wrap up Proverbs for us. And again, just like I've said the last couple of weeks as we've been hitting this this book, um, there's moments of hiccupiness. There's moments of shorter passages that all kind of fall in a line, uh, but it's not meant to be read like a narrative. It's it's not written like a narrative. And so when we read it, it's going to be quick hits. Sometimes it's going to be thought provoking passages other times. And so um, like I've done in the past, I'm just going to take kind of each proverb and work through it for a few moments. Uh, and so we're going to start in chapter or 27 of Proverbs this week. Um, and, and I love this proverb out of verse uh, out of chapter 27, verse three, it said, a stone is heavy and sand is weighty, but a fool's pro- provocation is heavier than both. <laughs> I love that one. Yeah. It's just, it's just rad. I mean, it, it's just a simple, f- and I love this cause it's so true, uh, that the idea, the implication is that a fool is more unbearable than any f- physical calamity or problem or circumstance. Stones are heavy. It's exhausting to do it. Uh, sand is weighty. It, it, it gets everywhere too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but a fool 
his ridiculousness is more unbearable than those two things. And so I think it's really, really kind of funny. Yeah, it's like, I would rather carry a heavy boulder or bags of sand than have to deal with you. <laughs> I'd rather have, I'd rather have to live with sand all over the place in every place. If you're nick and cranny of my body, cause I used to live on the beach. So I understand it. It reminds, deal with a full. It reminds me of that, that really bad joke from the office where he goes, if I was in a room with Hitler, Bin Laden and Toby, and I had a gun with two bullets, so I would bad. shoot Toby twice. That's kind of, that's how the author of Proverbs feels about a fool's provocation. Yep. And and again, remind, remember the book of Proverbs is about not just understanding what wisdom is and who wisdom is, but pursuing it. And so the whole goal is to highlight things that lead, either lead you astray from wisdom into foolishness, because that's the the... The contrast that he's playing is folly versus wisdom, foolishness versus wisdom, or how to pursue wisdom. Um, so you're going to get this obviously recurring theme of that. But um, that was chapter 27, verse 3. Chapter 28, the very beginning verse says this, the wicked flee though no one pursues, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Uh, and I just love the strength of this picture. I used to say it all the time as a student or as a youth pastor, um, this the tension that, that the righteous are as bold as a lion. When you stand with integrity and wisdom, you don't have to flee and run away as if you're being attacked or, I mean, though no one pursues, you're running away from the potential. Um, and there's just, there's just the scaredness that exists in those who are living in folly and, and foolishness, but the, the wise, the righteous stand bold because they are, they're walking with integrity and high character. Yeah. It's like that, that Macbethian feel where when you've done something wrong and all of a sudden like I, we're going to go see when we go to London, we're going to go see Macbeth and the Globes. So I'm really excited. But yeah, if you didn't know this, Evan's going on vacation yeah. soon and he's, he's actually got a trip through Europe planned. When you, when this you're is listening called, to this, this is called the baby. Is this the baby moon? Baby moon. Right. The last trip it's, before you have a, everyone you, said you before you start, you start towards yeah, everyone said before you start having kids take a vacation. So, you know, we're going to so take a vacation. So this is what they're doing, which means when they come back, they're going to start. That is not accurate. I'm just kidding. They but, might have a baby. No, I'm just kidding. It'll just be in our arms. It'll be <laughs> it just shows up. Uh, no, but like in Macbeth, there's the famous scene where he's like at the banquet and he's starting to hallucinate because he's seeing like the ghosts of the men that he's killed and he's he's just racked with grief. And that's kind of the picture here that the wicked flee, even though there's no one chasing them, yep. they're still afraid. Yep. Uh, Proverbs 29 verse 11 says this, a fool gives full vent to his spirit, but a wise man quietly holds back. I thought this was a really good and really curious one to, to think about. Uh, but it, it just contrasts this idea of reservation, uh, of modesty, of self-control, um, that a wise man is able to be controlled, uh, that it doesn't give full release to all of his passions. And it says a fool gives full vent to his spirit. This picture of releasing and pursuing every passion that comes up and creeps up. The, but the wise man is able to be reserved, to be uh, self-controlled. So uh, I thought it was really challenging for, for me, but I think for uh, other too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> uh, chapter 30 and 31, we're going to see that it's it's a, these words are attributed to somebody else. Um, but remember, even as we talked about early on, uh, the, the this is not just wor the works and the words of Solomon. It's actually work that he did to compile wisdom literature too. And so it's attributed to him as the compiler, the chief editor, if you will, uh, as well as an author. So Chapter 30, it says the words of a girl, son of Jekyll. Here's an interesting thing. There's not a lot of clarity on who this is. Uh, I've read some reports that they think it's just a nickname for Solomon. Um, some suggest he's a Gentile author, uh, or some even say that he's from a, uh, someone from a tribe in Arabia. Uh, but there's a lot of not clarity here. Um, a lot of not clarity, great sentence. Um, but what again is clear is that Solomon compiled all of these and is connected to his works. Uh, and so in, in chapter 30, verse five to six, these are the, these are the, the high, verses I'm going to highlight. It says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, 
lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. I love the the picture of the integrity of God's words. We don't need to add to it. We don't need to take away from it. We need to take it as it is and trust. And I'm not using God's words necessarily as the Bible. I'm using God's words as uh, the truth spoken from him and directed through his, the inspired authors of scripture. So adding to uh, adding to God's words and being rebuked is a, that's a thing we might be exploring in, in the next wisdom book we're going through. Really? Interesting. Teaser. Tell me more next time. So uh, that's chapter 30, chapter 31. Like I said, these these words are attributed to King Lemuel. Uh, and again, no one knows who he is or even where he was a king of. <laughs> All we know is that Solomon compiled and kept it connected to his uh, literature. The other thing I'll say is this is also where, for those of us who have been in the church circle for a long time or a long enough, this is where we get the phrase, um, this is where we get the section of the Proverbs 31 woman. Uh, I'm uh. not reading that passage, just so you know, uh, but it is a beautiful passage. I mean, when with my daughter, Abigail, when we uh, dedicated her, uh, as well as even at her baptism, there's a passage in this proverb uh, in that section that talks about um, she will laugh at the days of unknown, uh, and she, or she will she will walk without fear with the days of unknown, uh, and she will laugh uh, in the fa- face of uncertainty or whatever. Something along those lines. I can't even remember. I should because it's a verse I used, uh, but that's in Proverbs thirty one as well. Uh, but I want to read the first, um, really the first few verses. Uh, and again, the thing I love about it is Proverbs starts off in in a father writing to his son. Uh, and carries on that weight at different times throughout the entire book of Proverbs. Uh, but then it also kind of ends that way. In chapter 31, it start, the, the, verse, uh, the, the chapter starts off with a father writing to a son. And so here's the words, uh, verses 2 through 9. Uh, uh, verse 1 says, the words of King Lemuel, a pronouncement that his mother taught him. Um, so it's actually a mother Thank, to a son. Thanks, Sorry. Lemuel, Lemuel's mom. mom. Thanks, mama. Uh, it says this, and this again, these are the words from Lemuel's mom. So again, let me, let me shift for a second. Proverbs open up with a father to a son and ends with a, a mother to a son. The words of opening, which I think is really, really cool. It says this, what should I say, my son? What, what son of my womb? What son of my vows? Don't spend your energy on women or your efforts on those who destroy kings. It is not for kings, the mule. It is not for kings to drink wine or for rulers to drink beer. Otherwise he will drink and forget what is decreed and pervert justice for all the oppressed. Give beer to the one who is dying and wine to the whose life is bitter let him drink so that he can forget his poverty and remember his trouble no more. Speak up for those who have no voice, for the justice of all who are dispossessed. Speak up, judge righteously, and defend the cause of the oppressed and the needy. And I love that it's 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 setting the standard and provides this, this challenge to Lemuel, whoever he is, wherever he is, obviously he's not around on the earth anymore, but uh, like this is what it is to leave, to live and lead righteously. Um, and guarding against drinking, guarding against giving one to excess reacts. And I love the picture it even paints when it comes to wine and beer. And it says, give those to the ones who need to forget their poverty or their calamity for a time. Give the ones who need to, to, to calm down and find some. And it's interesting because scripture is also very clear where the writings of Jesus and the writings of the, the, the authors in, the, in, in scripture talk about don't get drunk, don't drink to excess. So there's, there's a, there's a certain caliber of, of integrity we as Christians need to walk with where we're not doing things in excess. Um, and so there's a certain level of like glass of wine, have have a drink, whatever, there's a purpose to it. But for a king, for one who's leading people, I love that that the mom provides clarity of how to stay focused, how to be diligent, and how to do what, what they're called to do as righteous leaders. Um, and I think 
all of us would do well to remember those challenges, whether we lead in a small organization, we lead our family, we lead in a large organization or in a much larger scale. I think it's important to remember uh, the tensions in the words of Lemuel's mom. It's interesting because what what comes to mind for me there is um, Ulysses S. Grant, who like, so he was a general during the Civil War and he was kind of like the, the, really the main general who was able to kind of win the war for the, for the, the U.S., um, but he struggled with alcoholism his whole life. And there was points where he was just like blackout drunk. He wouldn't remember things. Um, I believe he was kicked out of the military for a certain amount of time. And it, it was really a battle throughout his whole life. But he really was not able to take the leadership role that he would eventually have until he was able to at least get that under control. And it's, it's just interesting to me because I think about how different history could be if he never took the advice of Lemuel's mother there and and instead just like, wasted his life away yeah. um, with that addiction instead of figuring out a way to curb it. And then he was able to do great things. So kind of it's, yeah, I mean, a nerdy reference, but yeah. it's, it's what came to my mind. But it's, and I'll be honest with you. I actually wasn't thinking, thinking that it was Lemuel's mom. I thought it was a father's son. And then I was, I read the open. I was like, Oh, I'm such an idiot. Let me correct myself. So, but yeah, I just thought it was fun. I think it's a, any advice given like to lead well, to, to be somewhat of integrity. And I think that's the pursuit of wisdom. That's what Proverbs brings. So really good, really good ending. I think. All right. Well, that wraps it up for this week's episode of Let's Read the Bible. As a reminder, we are a podcast of The Grove Church, but we're not the only resource of The Grove Church. You can find all of our other resources on our website, grove.church. And if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to consider financially contributing to the ministry of The Grove Church, you can also do that on our website. There's a give button in the upper right-hand corner. But hey, you know, thanks for listening. Have a great day.